with the life of David. David, of course, we are very familiar with him throughout the Word of God. In 1 Samuel 16, God has rejected Saul from being king over Israel. And so God commands Samuel to go to the house of Jesse and anoint the next king from one of the sons of Jesse. After being overlooked and after being not even called by his father, the seven sons of Jesse passed before Samuel and the Lord informed Samuel that the anointed is not here. And Samuel says, do you have any more sons? And Jesse said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but he keeps the sheep. And Samuel said, go and fetch him, for will not sit down till he cometh hither. David comes in and he is anointed by Samuel to be the next king over Israel. It is also in 1 Samuel chapter number 16 that David goes because an evil spirit from the Lord has been sent upon Saul. And David goes and begins to play that harp. And you ever heard the music soothes a savage beast? That's where that thought comes from. Uh, for Saul's uh, spirit was uh, made refreshed, if you would, by the music of David. In 1 Samuel 17, Goliath of Gath and the Philistines raise up their ugly head against Israel and wage a battle. For 40 days and 40 nights, twice a day, the, Egypt, the Philistine giant would come out and say, give me a man that we may fight together. And Saul should have went out and fought Goliath. And I've often heard people criticize Saul because Saul was head and shoulders above every man. But I will say this, Saul knew he didn't have God with him. And so there might be some wisdom in that. David comes to bring supply to his brethren, and when he brings the supply, he hears the giant cursing, and he goes out and volunteers to fight, and God gives the victory. First sentence, stay with me, I'm getting to our text, I'm just laying the groundwork for where I want to go. First Samuel 18, Jonathan and David become great friends after that battle, and they make a covenant. In fact, Saul does not allow David to go to his home anymore, but in fact, he becomes Saul's armor bearer. First Samuel 19 and 20, we find several situations where Saul's jealousy and anger is expressed against David. In fact, to the point where Saul sees that Michael, David's uh, uh, Saul's daughter, is in love with David. And so he gives her to David to marry. And the reason he'd done that, he says, so the Philistines might be a snare unto him. That's what jealousy will do to you. It'll, put, it'll make, cause you to put people you love in danger. Don't forget, if they're going to get David, they're probably going to get your daughter, Saul. So in 1 Samuel 19, he begins to throw javelins at David, expressing his jealousy. And with the help of Jonathan and Michael and the Lord, David was spared out of Saul's hand. 1 Samuel 21, this chapter details David having to flee the palace and having to leave because it's no longer safe for him to be there. He goes to the tabernacle and... He lies to the priest. He tells the priest that he's on business for Saul, but he was not. There he got the 12 loaves of bread and got Goliath's sword and went on to Gath, to the Philistine territory. There they realize that this is David the giant killer. And when David realizes they know who I am, he begins to fall on the ground, let spit come out of his mouth and acts like a crazy man. They think David's lost his mind. He escapes out of there. 1 Samuel 22, Brother David preached on last week. David goes into the cave of Adullam, and there 400 men come, and they make him captain. David, without even trying, is getting the kingdom and the hearts of the men into his hand. 
It is also in 1 Samuel 23 where God gives David victory over battles and enemies against the Philistines. Saul pursues David in David's wilderness wanderings. In 1 Samuel 24, Saul finally catches up to David and don't even realize it. Saul is sleeping in a cave and David goes up behind Saul and cuts off the skirt of his garment and then confronts Saul and holds it and says, I had your life in my hand. I could have taken it. And Saul shows false humility and false compassion and it seems like they end on a good note. 1 Samuel 25, Samuel the prophet dies and David encounters Nabal and Abigail. He's building that force, building that alliance. 1 Samuel 26, we find the last, uh, if you would, encounter that Saul and David has. Much like the first one, Saul didn't even know he was close to David. David goes and he takes Saul's spear and then awakes Saul and shows him, I could have killed you again. To which Saul responds seemingly with humility, whether he was honest or not, that's between him and God. But he says in verse 24 of chapter 26, And behold, as thy life was much set by thee this day in mine eyes, so let my life be much set in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David, thou shalt both do great things, and thou shalt still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. It appears at the ending of that verse that Saul and David have mended their disagreements. They have mended their issues. In fact, this is the last time that David and Saul will see each other before the death of Saul. But what I'm interested in is the first verse of chapter 27, and it shocks me. All that context, but look at chapter 27, verse 1. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day, by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more on the coast of Israel, so shall I escape out of his hand. How about you, but that's strange to me. It's odd. I mean, it looks like they have built their alliance. It looks like they've made things right, but David, beginning in chapter 27, says, Saul's going to get me. God is teaching us a lesson here this morning and I want to preach on a very odd subject but I believe it's needful today. I want to preach on the danger of self-pity. The danger of self-pity. The little word self-pity, it means excessive self-absorbed unhappiness over one's own troubles. Now I want to say this this morning, everybody has trouble. Everybody has difficulty. Everybody has problems. If you're married and have children, have a job, if you're breathing air, you have problems. And so you're not the only one. I don't want to minimize anybody's trouble this morning. I don't want to minimize anybody's valley or anybody's trial. But I'm going to tell you where you and I get in trouble. It's when we get to this mentality that we've got it worse than anybody else. It's worse on us than it's ever been on anybody. It's all bad. We're not going to make it. Ain't nothing good. It's just, woe is me. Bless my heart. It's all bad. Nothing good. That's self-pity. David is having a pity party in this text. One man said the bad thing about pity parties is no one is invited 
and there ain't no food there. That's a bad thing about pity parties. I mean, it amazes me. David's been through all these things where God's given him great victory and great help. And David said in this verse, Saul's going to get me. Now, let's not judge him too quickly. Because how many times do we uh, go through times where God helps us and God delivers us and we walk out of church on Sunday night shouting the victory only to wake up Monday morning and we think God's died and the world's coming to an end. And we begin to feel sorry for ourselves. There is a danger in self-pity. I want to say a few thoughts about that this morning. First of all, what is the cause of self-pity. What got David to this point where he is acting in such a manner that he is full of self-pity? And I do want to emphasize the word self. He's focused on himself. What was the cause of it? Well, first of all, it was David. Notice what the verse said, and David said in his heart. Nobody said this to David. His foe didn't tell him that. His family didn't tell him that. His friends didn't tell him that. Nobody walked up and said, David, Saul's fixing to get you. Nobody came with a warning. Nobody came with a word of exhortation. David just mustered this up in his own mind. And I'm going to tell you where you and I get in trouble is when we assume things and we begin to allow things to formulate in our mind. Nobody said anything about it. I mean, some of you are so paranoid you won't go to a football game because you think when the guys huddle up, they're talking about you. So self-absorbed and so much thinking about yourself and so focused on you. Nobody said this to David in his text, but David said in his heart. You see, self-pity is brought on by living on one's emotions and feelings. He felt like one day he was going to perish at the hand of Saul. And I'm going to tell you, you and I always will be in trouble when we live our life based on how we feel. I don't always feel like I should feel. I don't always feel like, like I'm saved and like, like, I, I, like I love the Lord. I always, I always don't feel that way. That's why we're commanded to walk by faith and not by sight. Feelings constantly change. This is why the Word of God commands us that we're to live by faith because the, and faith in the Word of God because, because the Word of God never changes. So what caused David's self-pity? Well, the first thing that caused it was David. I'm going to tell you where, you, where you'll get in trouble is when you get focused on you. And you'll get focused on your own self and your own self-pity, if you would. And, and, and it's all me, 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 and I, I, I. And it's all, all me, all me, all I. That's self-pity. Not only was it David, but secondly, it was drastic. Look what he said in the verse. I shall now perish one day. By the hand of Saul. I, if you look at the last verse, David said, Blessed be thou, my son, thou shalt, uh, thou, my son David, thou shalt both do great things and shalt still prevail. His enemy told him that. And David said, He's going to get me. That seems like a drastic change, don't you think? But you see, when you live on your emotions, that's how quick things can change. That's how up and down, on and off, back and forth it can go. It was David, it was drastic. Up until this point, with all David has went through, it seems that his faith has remained strong throughout the difficulties. And there's no doubt that David made some mistakes. We've emphasized some of those this morning. And there were times when his faith was stronger than it was at other times. But it could be that the pressure finally got to David in our text. It could be that the constant running, the constant fighting, the constant going from cave to cave 
fighting in the wilderness, trying to hide from Saul, it finally got to him. And he just drastically said, Saul's going to get me. It was David. It was drastic. Let me say this. It was dramatic. <laughs> Watch what he says. And, and tell me if this don't sound, sorry, girls, like a teenage girl. There's nothing better for me than I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. Sorry, girls, but teenage girls are drama queens. Somebody say amen. And Baptist preachers, all right? Let's just say amen. And Baptist adults, men and women. It's so bad, there's nothing better for me. You drama mama, come on. Amen. You know, we don't need... I like Kurt LeBeau wrote that funny song, The Church Don't Need a Drama uh, Team Because We Got Enough Drama Queens. That's what David's been. There's nothing better for me. Me? Me? He got, he got probably 3,000 people with him. But you know what, David's is nothing better for me. He's not thinking about his family. He's not thinking about those with him. There's nothing better for me. He's drama-filled. You see... There's so much drama in church. Amen. I can't stand drama. Unless it's on TV. Somebody say amen right there. I can't stand drama. Well, he said, she said, that she said, that he said, and all y'all. I mean, just drama mama. My good. Nobody likes you anyway. <laughs> Nobody likes a dramatic person. Let's be honest. Nobody likes that. Amen. We have to love you because the Bible says so, but we don't like you. Don't look at me like that. Come on now, talk to me. You, you know, everybody's got somebody they know. When they walk in the room, it's like, here we go. Emotional bomb, fixing to go off. Why don't you love me? Because you're weird. <laughs> okay. Some of y'all need to smile, okay? But that's what David's acting like. Nobody appreciates me. Nobody calls me. Nobody writes me. Nobody does anything for me. You see the common denominator in all those words? Me. It was David, it was drastic, it was dramatic. This is a word I don't have ever used in alliteration, but it fits the term. It was dumb. Watch what he does. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down to the land of the Philistines and I'm going to live there. Now, come here, David, come here this minute. Uh, you have killed a lot of Philistines. You've killed the biggest and the baddest they got. And you're going to march down there and think they're just going to welcome you with open arms? But you see, when you're focused on yourself, your judgment's clouded. You're not even thinking straight. It was, it was just dumb. It, it, I would remind you that the Philistines are the enemies of God. David won a battle over them in 1 Samuel 17, 18, 19, and 23. This ain't several years span. This is all within a few months. And David said, I think I'm going to go down there and live in the Philistines. It's like a Georgia fan after the national championship moving to Tuscaloosa. That's not a good idea. <laughs> what I'm telling you this morning is when you are filled with self-pity, you'll make some dumb decisions. Boy, I've seen that in church so many times. I've seen people get so absorbed on their self. And look, nobody probably calls anybody like we should. And we probably don't check on people like we should. And we probably don't do everything like we should. And it's amazing that the people that get upset about that, they are always doing everything they're supposed to be doing. They're always calling everybody. They're always checking on everybody. You, you catch my sarcasm. And they're always doing everything they're supposed to do. But if something, if someone does not reciprocate that to them, well, I'm just not loved and appreciated. You know what they do? They make some dumb decisions. Get their family out of church. Get their family in a church that only preach the Bible. 
Amen. I'm talking about self-pity, the causes of self-pity. Number two, I want to say a word about the course of self-pity. Where will self-pity lead you? Well, we've already touched on a little bit, but look at verse 2. Y'all getting a hold of this? David arose, and he passed over 600 men that were with him in Achash to the son of Makok, king of Gath. Ain't this interesting? First of all, he went to a defiled place. The Bible said in verse number 1 that it was the land of the Philistines. The Philistines were an ancient people that lived in the Middle Eastern region. They, they were the mortal enemies of Israel for hundreds of years. These two nations constantly would fight against one another. The major reason that the Philistines and the Israelites always fought against one another is because of their differing religious beliefs. The Philistines primarily believed in the false god Dagon. And of course the Israelites believed in God. Because of that disagreement and because of the, uh, of the uh, Israelites taking the land of Canaan, they were in constant war. And God even used the Philistines to judge Israel. And David's going to take, take, take himself, take his family, take his men, and move to the land of the Philistines. Needless to say, the land of the Philistines was no place for any of God's people. It was a defiled place. It was a defeated place. Brother Richie, not only did he go to the land of Philistia, but notice what town he went to. Gath. That sound familiar? Goliath of Gath. You think he's going to be welcome in that town? But see, self-pity will make you do some dumb things. I mean, here's David. It's not like he's going in incognito. He's bringing 3,000 people with him. It's not like he's sneaking in. They think it's an invasion. He's going to a defeated place. He's going to a dangerous place. He said unto Acacia, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. This is the same king that figured out who David was in 1 Samuel 21. And said, ain't this the guy that they said Saul is slain his thousands, David is tens of thousands. And David said, oh, I'm found out. And he started acting like a crazy guy. And the dummy goes right back to the same king. Sin will make you do some dumb things, won't it? Self-pity will make you do some foolish things. That, and, and, I, and I know we're judging David this morning, but you and I are guilty of the same thing. David could probably look at our lives and say, why in the world are y'all doing that? But I'm telling you, David willingly walked down to a place where he had just killed the biggest giant. He had just won the greatest victory in Israel. We're still talking about it. And if we're still talking about it, you know they were talking about it. But self-pity led him down there. Woe is me. I've got it bad. Me, me, me. One man said a man wrapped up in himself is one small package. So we find the cause of self-pity, the course of self-pity. What is the cost of self-pity? You realize David did not go to the Philistia to Gath alone. Notice in verse 2, the followers that he led. Verse number 2, and David arose and passed over with 600 men that were with him under Acacia. Now this ain't all the men that had, all the people David had with him. Warren Wiersbe said he had between two and 3,000 followers at this time. He took 600 men over as kind of a bodyguard to see, hey, is this going to work out? So watch this. He took men that looked up to him, that followed him. He had influence on their life, and he took them to Gath. I'm going to tell you, you go away from God, you get wrapped up in self-pity, and you go the wrong direction, and somebody will follow you down there. The followers he led, but the family that he loved. Look at verse 3. David dwelt in Achish at Gath. 
he and his men, and every man with his household, and David, even David and his, with his two wives, Amnon the Jezreelites, and Abigail the Carmelite, Nabal's wife. So not only did David take him and his men down there, but David took him, his men, their wives, their children, and David's two wives. You see, when you're wrapped up in yourself, you're having a negative effect on others. Because you'll get people to rally, well, you have been treated bad. You have, you have, you have been done wrong. You are. Bless your little heart. And what you'll do, you'll get an alliance of people with you, and you're going to lead them down to Gath. I hadn't planned on preaching this morning. This is actually a Sunday night message, but here we are. I'm telling you, you better watch it in church. People that go around running their mouth about this and about that. And what they're doing, they're getting a little coalition to take the gaff together. They're getting a little coalition. And what they're doing, they may seem like they have good intentions. But what they're going to do, they're leading a lot of people to gaff. The cost of self-pity. What about the compromise of self-pity? Look at, the, look at this. There's the requested territory in verses 4, 5, and 6. And it was told Saul that David fled to Gath, and he sought, him no more, sought no more again for him. And David said to Achish, If I found grace in thy sight, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. Why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? Then Achish gave him Ziklag that day, whereof Ziklag pertaineth to the kings of Judah to this day. And so, notice here, David said, Not only do I want to hang out down here, but if you'll give me a town, I, I, you know what I'm going to do? I kind of like it down here. I, I want to live here. Give me a town. You know what the world gave him? The world gave him exactly what he wanted. By the way, the world will always give you what you want. But they don't show you the cost of it. Later on, if you study on throughout this book, the enemy come in and they burn Ziklag down. And they, and they take their wives and their children. David wasn't thinking about that in chapter 27. He's just full of himself. But I'll tell you what he done. He went down to Gath and he got Ziklag and he moved everybody down there. And it wasn't just a little while. The enemy came in and kidnapped his wife and his family and burned the city with fire. Oh, it may seem good now. Your self-pity uh, may be feeding you now, making you feel good now. But there's a cost to that. Request of territory. There's a recorded time. Look at verse 7. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. Sixteen months he lives out of the will of God in Ziklag. I thought about this, Brother William. That first week is probably a little odd for David and his men. They don't fit in in Philistia. They don't dress like they do in Philistia. Uh, they don't dress like they do in Israel there in, in the Philist in, in, in Ziklag and that Philistine territory. Uh, they don't. They don't talk. They don't act. It must have been a little odd. But you know what David learned how to do? He learned to adapt and fit in. And now he looks just like them, and he's acting just like them, and he 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 has the appearance of them. I'm telling you this morning, when we go down to Ziklag, when we go down to Gath, when we are filled with self-pity and we think, well, there's nothing better for me. I'm just going to go find me another church. I'm going to go find me another wife or another husband. I'm going to go find me something else. It's all bad. I'm telling you, it's going to lead to trouble. I understand the will of God. I understand all those things. But David's not acting on God's will. God ain't said a word to him about this. not once I read it again this morning just to make sure that God didn't speak to David. I understand there were times he told his people to go to Egypt. He told he told Joseph and Mary uh, to take Jesus to Egypt there in Matthew 2. He he allowed, I understand that, but he never said nothing. David said in his heart. Yeah. 
He formed it, come in his heart. Requested territory. The ruthless taking, verses 8 through 11. David and his men went up and invaded the Gershites and the Gerizites and the Amalekites. Basically what's happening in these verses, David's going in, and, and most Bible commentators I read behind, uh, they applaud David for this. He's cleaning up the mess that Joshua and the children of Israel didn't finish when they were invading Canaan land. And so he's cleaning things out. But I thought about this. You can have God's blessings on you while you're living in Philistia for a little while. Can you imagine David went to that first battle and he won? He's like, well, see, man, God must be okay with this. He probably felt like Jonah did when Jonah went down to Joppa and he found that ship going to Tarshish and he reached in his pocket and looked there, I've got the exact amount of money I need to pay the fare. You know, the devil can have a way of giving you a little bit of victory and giving you a little bit of help and giving you what you need just to deceive you and keep you in bondage and chains. Y'all getting a hold of this? There's requested, and then watch this. There's the here's the sad part: the regrettable testimony. Now, I read Warren Wearsby this morning. I love to read Warren Wearsby. I do one of my favorite writers. Kind of iffy on this with him. He said that this was all a plot of David to scheme and to get back some of the territory that belonged to Israel. Because and and that possible that it could be possible. But look at verse twelve. And Achish believed David. He's saying that. Wearsby said that David lied to Achish and said, I'm, I'm getting all this land for Philistia, but really he was getting it for Israel. That may be the case, and if it is, God bless you. And so Achish believes David, but watch what Achish says about David. He hath made his people Israel utterly to abhor him. Therefore, he shall be my servant forever. That's the king of Gath saying that. He said, I'll tell you right now, old David, <laughs> I, didn't, I really didn't see David acting that way. But he has acted in such a way, Israel abhors him. And I'll tell you what David's going to be, that sweet psalmist of Israel, that giant killer, he's going to be the servant of Gath for the rest of his days. In fact, you know, David says in verse number, uh, verse number 5, and David said to Achish, If I now found grace in thy eyes, give me a place in some town in, in the country that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant... When you go to Gath, you always become the servant of Gath. That regrettable testimony. When you and I live in self-pity, we become someone else's servant beside the Lord. We become a servant to the flesh. We become a servant to the world because we're focused on us. You know, that's, our, that's, a, that's a natural thing about Americans. It's all about us. We have... And I have a Facebook, I, I get that, but we all, have, we all have websites now dedicated to us. You, you realize that's what a Facebook profile is. It is a website dedicated to you. <laughs> Didn't think about it that way, did you? www.charlesallen.com. I mean, I'm, I got it too, all right? But if we're not, and I understand be used for good things, I, I, you know, live streaming, uh, sharing scripture, making liberals mad. I get it, okay? I get it. But I tell you, if we're not careful, we get so focused on us, focused on who we are, and getting likes on our pictures. And, and, and I appreciate Steve liking my picture, all right? But I'm just saying, we get to the point where it's all focused on us. We'll become self-centered. And I'm telling you, when we live in self-pity and live self-centered, we're headed for trouble. When David walked down to Gath that day, he did not think about those he was taking with him. He did not think about the influence he was having. Apparently, 
Brother Charles, there are some people that walked down the Gath with David that day that died in Gath, in Ziklag when it was overtaken. <laughs> David didn't think about that. What is, lastly, what is the cure for self-pity? This is not necessarily in our text, and you'll forgive me. But what should have David done in chapter 27, verse 1? He, ought to do, he, he should have done three things, and the three things me and you need to do this morning. First of all, he should have remembered. He should have just sat down and began to remember. Here's David. Oh yeah, okay, I get it. The pressure got to him. I get it. The stress got to him. I can't imagine being on the run like David was, sleeping in caves, sleeping in the woods, constantly looking out for your life. I get that. The pressure got to him. The, the, the constant running finally got to him. But I'll tell you what David should have done. He said, you know what? I've been in some tight places before. I've been in some places where I didn't think I was going to make it. And God was always faithful to deliver me. And God was always faithful to help me. And God, he slew the giant, amen. And he got me, he, I dodged the javelin. And I got away. And God provided. And God's met my needs. And God's given me friends. And God's given me a family. I'm not going to doubt him now. I'm telling you this. This morning when the pressure and the stress and the anxiety begins to build up in your soul and you say well there's nothing better for me I might as well quit on God I might as well quit going to church I might as well quit reading the Bible honey you need to remember all that God has done for you amen I tell you he's been better than us than we deserve we don't deserve his blessings and we don't deserve his kindness and we don't deserve his grace and we ought to take a little stroll down memory's lane and look at the giant that he's given us victory over and look at the battles that he has won David should have remembered ain't it amazing how we have such short memories I'm not talking about physically I'm not making fun of anyone I'm talking about we are quick quick to forget God's blessings and provision so quick to forget that you know what? It, it might be, it might be you worry about your mortgage every month. Am I going to be able to pay my mortgage? But you paid it every month that you had a house, and God's always met the need. Might be how am I going to pay my light bill this month? The same way you paid it last month. Well, what am I going to do about this? this Brother Jimbo said the other night, "What? what you know, I ain't going to make it through this." Ain't that what you said the last time? Remember, that giant was big. It was going to kill David, but God won the battle for David. And I'll tell you, if God could handle Goliath, God could handle Saul over and over again, God was faithful to David, and God would have been faithful to him again. I'll tell you this one, we have nothing to complain about this morning. We have nothing to complain about. Some of y'all didn't really say amen. I guess some of you think you might got a list. Did you sleep on a street corner last night? Like those people I passed in downtown Salisbury this morning going to get donuts, sleeping on park benches. No? You had a nice bed, didn't you? You didn't, walk to, you didn't have to walk today. You had transportation. You had food. You have a family. You're saved by the grace of God on your way to heaven. And what was we complaining about again? 
Oh, I know our, our president's dumb as a box of rocks, but at least we ain't living in Venezuela. At least we ain't somewhere in China like that. At least we still have a little bit of freedom. I know that gas is rising. I know that groceries have went up. I know prices are high, but I got friends of mine in Sri Lanka paying 10 and 15 and 20 and $30 for sugar and just things, necessities of life. I'll tell you, God's been good to us. God's been faithful to us. God's been kind to us. And I'll tell you what we ought you may listen to me. We ought to remember. Come here a minute. We ought to remember and take a walk down memory's lane. And before we quit on God and before we go the wrong direction, we better remember. We have no right to complain this morning. No right. No right. You know, a complaining spirit is the opposite of a thankful spirit. When you're constantly complaining and constantly, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. I know it is. So are you. But God's good. And God's great. Amen. He's been kind to us. And he's been merciful. Some of y'all look at me like a calf staring at a new gate. What's he talking about? I'll tell you, you're probably fixing to head to gaff. You better remember, when you start remembering, you'll start rejoicing. He'd become, thank he'd become thankful. By the way, you know what David said after this text? He'll write this in Psalm 27. I had fainted unless I'd believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David said, if you study it out, it's after this text. After this text, you know what David learned a lesson? He said, you know what? It is better for me to wait on God. It is better for me to look and remember and rejoice in what God has done for me. I tell you, this is a blessed crowd we're looking at this morning. We didn't have to meet in secret today. Oh, we didn't have to sneak in here this morning. We had liberty. We had the precious word of God. We heard that good choir sing. Hey, man, we had donuts, praise God, and coffee and fellowship, and we're going to have a good meal here in a little while. I don't know where you're eating, but everybody's going to have a good meal somewhere, and God's been kind to us, and we ought to remember, and we ought to rejoice. And that will lead to the third thing, remaining. What did Paul say? Therefore, my beloved brethren, throw your life to the wind. Do what you want to. Flip-flop. Be double-minded. Be unstable in all your ways. That ain't what he said. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be therefore steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is not the time to quit. This is not the time to back up. This is not the time to lay the sword down. This is not the time to quit on God. But stay faithful. I wonder how different David's story would have been had he just done those three things. Remember, rejoice, and remain. Do you, keep, do you keep account of God's blessings in your life? You woke up this morning. A lot of people didn't like this morning. A lot of people laid their head on their pillow last night and they woke up dead this morning. People this morning put their shoes on and tonight somebody else is going to take them off because they'll die before the day's over. There are people this morning, they don't know where their children's at. They don't know where their family's at. They have no idea. And you're sitting in church with your family, with your husband, with your wife, with your church family. There are places in this own country where there are good Christians and they don't have a church to go to. 
They don't have a building like this. They don't have a choir like this. I ain't much, but they don't have a preacher like this. I'm better than nothing, praise God. If you can't be good, be short, amen. But I'm just telling you, all these things we take for granted. I'll tell you, when we begin to take them for granted, we end up going to Philista, Gath, Ziglag. Because I feel sorry for me. I'll tell you this morning, they, the old acronym is JOY. What, what is real joy? You take J-O-Y, it's Jesus, others, and yourself last. And that's the formula for real joy. You keep Jesus first, you be focused on others. I'd say that's real joy. It's real joy. God's been, you know what? God has been too good. I'm done. God's been too good to this crowd that I'm looking at for us to quit. I mean, too good. He's, my goodness, he saved you to start with. And if that's all that he done, if that's the only thing he ever done for you, that would be enough. But I tell you, he's been too good for me just to walk away. When you remember where he found you, and how he fixed you, and how he formed you, and how he's still working on you, don't, don't go to Gath. The danger, there's a danger in self-pity this morning. Let's stand together. I appreciate your attention. I preach a little longer than normal. I preach 35 minutes, but I appreciate your attention.